0: listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, and I'm Nate McLennan. At Getting Smart, we are thinking a lot about superpowers that young people need to develop in order to create a stable, vibrant, and sustainable future for everyone and the planet, especially in the face of an increasingly complex and unpredictable world. Near the top of my list of superpowers is social entrepreneurship and civic engagement. Social entrepreneurs need tools to problem-spot and problem-solve with innovative solutions. The skills of social entrepreneurs will be critical to address local and global challenges. Civic engagement also rises to the top. In democracies around the world, voice matters. And while the percentage of eligible young people who vote has increased in the US, we still hover right around 50%. Many students feel that they cannot make a difference. They don't have agency. And given the type of negative and divisive discourse that's amplified in the media and in politics today, We believe that young people need tools to communicate, to empathize, to compromise, to collaborate. They need tools to better understand the civic system and the avenues to advocate for the change that they seek. An educated and engaged population ensures the future of a nation, as long as they have the tools and knowledge to engage. And finally, with the AI emerging exponentially fast, social entrepreneurs operating in the civic engagement space will need experience and partnership to best navigate a future world where fact and fiction are very difficult to separate, especially as AI drives content to influence political and civic agendas. So given all that, today I'm thrilled to be joined by Tanasi Delos. He's the co-founder and chief growth officer at Civics Unplugged. Tanasi has been an explorer with Nat Geo, a venture fellow, and is also the co-founder and founding champion of DreamDAO, a Web3 uh, opportunity. And among other things, he's 20 years old. So Welcome, Tanasi. Really great to have you on the show today, and uh, happy to, to have this conversation with you.
1: Oh man, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here.
0: And so, let's. I always like to start with origin stories. Um, and you've done a whole lot in your 20 years so far, but let's start with 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 your origin journey. So, at 20 years old, w- what was the inspiration uh, to build what you have built? Uh, what was your Was there something that happened in your younger life that that led you to this? Um, What's the origin story of this world you're in?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the origin story of Civics Unplugged starts back when I was 17. I was um, kind of the summer between my junior and senior year of high school, but the impetus to start Civics Unplugged started way before then. Um, I've told this story a ton of times recently, but really haven't publicly. I was out of school, traditional education, uh, K through 12 for about a third of, of that time. Um, I was really badly bullied when I was younger and that led to a lot of mental health issues and eventually a suicide attempt in at my freshman year of high school. And so through that entire journey, I was left out of a lot of conversations in school. I didn't feel like that was my place. I got horrible grades. I felt really disconnected and I, I kind of had just retreated into a, a very dark place. And so you know, over that time, uh, right after the, the the battle with suicide, I Uh, Took some time off of school and decided to start writing about politics on the internet under a pseudonym. I don't know why. I don't know how that started. I don't remember, but I just started to do it. I started to publish them on Instagram and um, they started getting a lot of traction. This was around 2016, 2017, where Instagram and the algorithms were really pushing political content to a lot of users. And, you know, having a large following, I I think it grew up to 60 or 70,000 followers uh, right from the start, it gave me a life's purpose. It also connected me with the community. I started hiring other young people to write nonpartisan articles on this Instagram page. It connected me with adults. It gave me a reason to, to get up in the morning. I, I credit that to the reason I ended up graduating from high school, to the reason I'm, I'm here today and able to speak about the things that we've built at Civics Unplugged. But a lot of that journey to purpose, to finding a, a reason to get up in the morning was truly just luck for me. I didn't wake up one day and say, I need a purpose. I need something to do. I, I, I honestly don't know what happened. And so Civics Unplugged is a civics organization, and we can get into how we teach that. It is a human development organization. It funds young people. It saves democracy. But if you peel all those layers back, what it is is it's trying to institutionalize the luck that I had that saved my life for thousands of other young people around the country. It's trying to provide young people with a pathway to adult-youth partnership to financial freedom, to uh, a life of purpose, a life of real knowledge, and a life free of anxiety about not being able to do anything about, about the future.
0: Wow, that's quite a story. And I'm glad that we're able to have this conversation today and that, that you've emerged uh, from that struggle. Um, so so then what was the first launch point? You started this Instagram page and that morphed into at some point something called Civics Unplugged. And what was the first the first program the first thing that you launched
1: yeah so the instagram page was separate i ended up selling that to a large like instagram conglomerate instagram page conglomerate and through that sale i met the chair of my board now jeffrey silverman and he was running a nonprofit uh based in new york city that was doing some stuff but he wanted to kind of wind it down and he was looking for what's next with that with that nonprofit so i kind of went to him after a while and said, hey, what if we thought really differently about what it means to be a civics organization? What if we like didn't care about donors, didn't care about the civic or education establishment that's in the United States? What if we completely built a new model and tested it? And the way that we were gonna test it was with Instagram, we were gonna get young people to build it with us, and we were gonna get adults to support those young people and their visions. And he connected me immediately with my, one of my co-founders, Josh Thompson, who was also at the same time pitching him a similar idea. And so we got together, And we thought the problem with a lot of youth serving education organizations and nonprofits right now is that they are living in an old world where there is a teacher designing curriculum that is presented to the students and the students are told voting is good. This is the history of the country. And, you know, this is how you get an internship and and make change. We're like, what if we blew that up and said, let's get 20, 30 kids that are interested in civics and let's have them co-create a civics nonprofit, a civic education nonprofit for their peers. And so the first program was a digital first civic innovation fellowship that would be held in January of 2020. Um, And then we had secured a partnership with Georgetown University to bring all those fellows. We had 250 beds at Georgetown to bring all of those fellows to Georgetown for a week long kind of like trip to experience DC, do all the sites, meet all the legislators, like that whole thing. Because we were a digital first civics fellowship and uh, we were talking about technology and giving money to young people and being led by, by at the time a 17 year old, we were laughed out of almost every, every room, every education funder on the planet. um, If we got the meeting with them. And so we ended up just bootstrapping it. We ended up running Instagram ads for 250 bucks. And that's how we got our first 250 fellows. The minute we launched our fellowship COVID hit, Um, And then after this, I'll stop talking, but COVID hit. And because we had designed this space to be 100% online, and it was designed by young people, it was a place where kids wanted to spend their time during the pandemic. It wasn't a place where kids were being forced or being kind of like square peg, round hole, let's find a digital band-aid so we can keep running our program, even though we can't be in person. It was built to be digital. Because of that, we ended up securing 250 founding team members who built Civics Unplugged with us. So that first fellowship cohort became the vision for what civics unplugged is today
0: got it got it so so that's an amazing story so you you were building the and you built it on a, another pl- a platform essentially
1: or were using an existing online platform we built our own like school we don't use it anymore because it was it was a bad idea quite frankly but we did build our own school platform where you had like your physical virtual space it was it was fun
0: and then, and then these 250, you've got 250 young people who are interested in civics and they come together and are they, are they bringing their own challenges or problems that they've spotted? And is that how you walk them through? Is that the, 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 the fellowship process?
1: Yeah. So the fellowship is kind of based on, on four pillars. Uh, so history, um, systems thinking, personal development, and emerging technology. And we think those four pillars are what brings together this idea of civic innovation and the fellowship each week young people uh come together to learn from an adult and a young person who are the facilitators of that lesson and they examine a different sector uh where civic innovation can be used to make a difference right so everything from housing and urban development to what do our digital rights look like with ai and so we, we paste those four pillars across all these different issues and so the curriculum itself was designed by my third co-founder nick dellis who used to be a history teacher and those 250 kids. That's the core, like foundational principles of the fellowship were designed by by him and those young people. How we change the programming every year is we listen to our alumni, now over 3,500 of them, and we ask them what are the pressing issues for Gen Z or young generations this year. And we design our curriculum to look at those issues with the civics unplugged lens, if that's what we want to call it.
0: Ah, gotcha, gotcha. So so every year you might have a similar structure, but the topics may change more, et cetera, based on what you're hearing from the universe of young people.
1: And, yeah. And for uh, example, yeah. go ahead.
0: No, my question was, go ahead, please. Yeah, we'll edit this part, but go ahead. Yeah.
1: Yeah, sure. For example, last year we ran the Civic Innovators Fellowship, which is our core program, but we also ran a climate Technologies fellowship, which examined how you can use climate tech to make real climate change right there's a lot of activism programs there wasn't a lot of like how do i get into climate tech if i love the science this year we're doing a, a digital bill of rights fellowship how do i examine the harms of social media the influx of ai how do i look at that in terms of democracy and civics got it
0: and and then uh from so they they are working with a young person and uh an adult mentor or an expert in the field they get taught these various relevant topics or they're they're learning about them and then at the end, is there a responsibility in their
1: end to go do something with that? Or how, how does it, what's the culmination of the fellowship look like? Sure. So the in the program, they have to write a research paper, essentially examining a, an issue that they have lived experience in and a potential civic innovation that they'd like to see that could, could potentially solve the issue. Um, a lot of our fellows... Uh, do go out and start organizations and solve these problems. And for that, we have funding. We've moved, I think, over $500,000 of uh, direct financial support to young people. That's everything from like helping them buy um, materials to go stage a protest to like helping them uh, leave their job at Starbucks and still make that that basic income they need so that they can focus on researching things that might help their community. We thought more young people would actually, like we thought all 350 per cohort would want to start a project, but that's not the case. A lot of them want to intern places. They want to keep researching. They want to do more with Civics Unplugged. A lot of them just want to be in high school and that's okay as well. Um, So we try to build our alumni support in a way that holistically um, empowers the individual because we know that 10, 20 years down the line, they still have the potential to be a civic innovator wherever they are. They don't actually have to do something right now.
0: Yeah, that's a good, that's really interesting because I think in schools, as you know very well, we're pushing Young people, especially in high school, some in middle school, to say, "Okay, go find your purpose. Do something. Problem spot. Make go make change happen now." And I, I think it's a really good point that you've learned, that you're articulating here is that is that we need to make sure that people are ready for that. And some, like you, for example, were ready. Something happened and it merged, You had this idea and you ran with it. Um, and others need to to sit in something for a while, and it may not emerge until 20 years later. But they'll still have those fundamental skills. So I, I really appreciate that as a as a takeaway. So um, you have a lot of fellows. What's a, what's a story that, that you tell of one of your fellows? You've had over 3,000, I think, at Civics Unplugged in various iterations. Um, what's a story that you love to share?
1: Yeah. On, on that note and kind of tying into what you just spoke about, maybe I'll share two. One of which is one of our newer fellows, Marcus, um, who is the youngest elected official in Arizona. And he tells a great story about, you know, being elected to his school board, his board of ed, and immediately getting into a political battle with one of the older members on the school board about recognizing Pride Month and how, you know, people will not only treat you differently because of your age on those on those school boards, but they will use it as a way to attack you, as a way to tear you down, um, And, you know, as a young person in places of power, you need to be able to understand the dynamics and you need an ally. You need adult allies. You can't just do it on your own. Um, And so that was a very inspiring story, especially because he um, we had an event with Congressman Maxwell Frost, who's the youngest elected official in Congress right now. And he started his question that was around how do I build intergenerational partnerships in you know positions of power. He started his quest with uh, Representative Frost as a fellow Gen Z elected official. And I just thought that was, that was really special. Um, so that's, that's one. That's kind of about the kid that will take it and run with it. Um, there's another kid, Daryl, who was in our first cohort. He was one of the 250 in 2020. And he was an awesome kid from the minute that we met him. He was so different and he thought differently and he acted differently and he was funny and he was open. But he, um, you know, he came from Orlando. He had never really been outside of his state before. um, And he was not very civically active. He was not very, like, connected in the civic space, in the the political space. He wasn't one of those kids that could call their parents and ask for an internship on a political campaign. Um, And through Civics Unplugged, he tells this story about how he met his friends, his core friends through Civics Unplugged. He had his first opportunity to run a campaign. He ran Students for Open Primaries in Florida through Civics Unplugged, which ended up getting 59% of the vote vote to open primaries in Florida. He was part of that. He ended up um, being pushed by the Civics Unplugged community to apply for a QuestBridge scholarship. And he got into UChicago for free. Um, And the only reason he went to UChicago and felt comfortable is because his friends that he met at Civics Unplugged were also at UChicago. Uh, So it was the first time out of the state going to UChicago. And now that he's at UChicago, He has internships and he's in DC and he's lobbying for science research funding, all not through Civics Unplugged. And so we don't take credit for any of these kids' success because they are all awesome and they will all probably do it by themselves. But I think it does speak to, we're not just an education organization. Our curriculum is great and it's leading and all of that. But what we truly are is we find good humans, we find them before they... Get to college before they get influenced by all these social pressures about an internship at a big bank or hundred thousand followers on instagram and we try to connect them with other good humans so that the social pressure is to stay good it's to stay loving it's to stay uh feeling excited about the future so i think that the daryl story is my favorite one to tell
0: i love that the idea of uh trying to get them to stay good uh, right like how do we how do we develop purpose, maintain that purpose, and maintain that purpose for a lifetime. Um, because there's all sorts of distractions out there. And especially you know, in a world uh, where we're thinking a lot about this and getting smart is that, as you know, there's a lot of pressure right now in the education system about pipelines from high school into college, into workforce, or pipelines directly into workforce. And And that's important. I think people need family sustaining wages and and yet, I think absent from the conversation is a voice that's just as loud I- I- doing the work that you're doing. And this idea that w- we also need to live live purposeful lives while making a family sustaining wage, and everybody needs the skills to do that. So so again, just more applause for for what you're doing. And um, it, it, it feels like um, th- what you're doing is providing agency, the skills of agency for young people to do things that they care deeply about. Um, the system that we're in is still a compliance-based system. Most students are learning civics through through even if it's online, even if it's uh, uh, in an innovative school, it might often be
1: they're taking they're taking half a credit, right? Half a credit, right?
0: And 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 we also know that there's legislatures in the country that are making it more difficult to do real civics work. And so, what are your recommendations if if you could? Um, sit in front of the secretary of education uh, for each state, like you had them all in a room, what would be your key recommendations, especially in a super divided
1: and partisan world education is right now? How, how do you do that? What would you say? If I, if I had the power to convene every secretary of state in a room, I would not be giving them the, uh, the ideas. I would probably be trying to convene uh, thousands of kids to give them the ideas.
0: <laughs> okay, well done, well done, okay, yeah. <laughs>
1: Potentially a hot take. The internet and you know thousands of, of online communities, whether you think of TikTok or Reddit or Instagram or Twitter or Signal or whatever you're on, has completely changed the way we should look at education. The average IQ, the average um, worldview of a young person at 15 or 14 is so much more advanced than it was 10, 20 years ago. Young people at 13 and 14 are thinking like 18 or 19-year-olds. You know? and, and because of that, they have access to all this new information. They have access to um, all these new people, all, new, all these new types of content. And so what I'm trying to say is they probably already know how democracy at its base functions. You know what I mean? They're more active than ever. They're more plugged in than ever. And so partly, I would say, is why is civics class so boring and teaching things that kids already probably know? Um, Obviously, there are kids that are completely underserved that do not understand how democracy works and we need to fix that. But we don't need to teach half a credit on the values of democracy. What we need to teach is how do we create informed citizens? How do you shape a young person to feel like they not only can vote, but understand what they want to vote for? And outside of the voting system, outside of our government, how do we help young people understand where they can play the best role in their community? I think a lot of the kids that we interact with at Civics Unplugged, or I interact with in general, who are just starting high school, blow me away with how engaged um, and informed they are. And what they want out of their school classes is not more about the founding fathers, even though that's important, it's more about how do I examine my community and the issues in it, and how do I actually get involved right now? Civics class is saying, here's how you get involved later when you turn 18. Civics class should be building the pipeline of of young voters, and it's it's not right now. so would it be expanding civics funding? Uh, maybe that'd be great. But it'd also be rethinking what civics class means and why we are teaching it to young people, right? And and and
0: if we want a thriving democracy, 50, 50 years from now, hundred years from now, what are the what are what are the gener what's the generational work given the context, which is what you are doing when you're going out and asking young people every year, like what's going on, what's the most relevant piece, and how do you apply it to a to to a robust civic life? So. Uh, yeah. It makes total sense. So where, where do you see this? You've been, you've been at this for a couple of years. Um, you've made some big impact so far. Where, where's growth and impact for, I mean, impact I'm hearing about, but do you want to grow it or do you want what, to, what, what are you thinking about for the future for Civics Unplugged? It's a
1: good question. I don't know. I think that Civics Unplugged, um, we're a very lean team. We are trying to continuously push ourselves to be different Um, And not different for different sake, but different to solve a lot of the pain points that a lot of larger national nonprofits in this space have. Um, I think that we have proven out that we're able to, you know, find young people that are extremely um, able to become civic innovators and help them on that path. I think there's this term creaming that I learned very recently that is, you know, just about taking the top percentage and just saying that they're your kids. That's not what we're doing. You know, I I think... A lot of our young people, 40% of them are first-generation college students. Um, A lot of them are coming from rural areas that are completely underserved by national nonprofits and education systems. You know, we're not just finding kids that are on the coasts. And so all that's great. I think that we have entered a state right now in the past six months at Civics Unplugged where we are running programs, we're getting funding, and we're doing the status quo, and that's awesome. But Civics Unplugged wasn't built to just do the status quo. It was built to continuously push what civics education and youth uh, youth adult co-creation in education could look like. And so what I want to do is get back into the lab and launch something completely new. What does a residency program for high school civic innovators look like? What does um, having a traveling like Olympic style committee where different students from different cities have to like uh, pitch to get a civics unplugged academy for two weeks in their city? where a bunch of fellows from all over the country come in and learn about civics and interact with the community and the students from that community interact with them. Like, how do we build a movement, um, an educational movement that is so much more special than, hi, my name is Thanasi, I run an organization that runs fellowship programs for high school students. That's great, but eventually someone will cannibalize that. Eventually that won't be as effective for young people anymore. And so we want to continue getting better and hopefully people can copy our mistakes and our successes and implement those in different areas as well.
0: Yeah, I think about the sort of the hyperlocalness that you just described, right? So it's one thing to convene a bunch of people online, but if you can bring them to play, and and you had them in DC in that first iteration, and but how how do you? Th- I, I love I like the idea of physical academies, which you're in one place where you're bringing people together and you're looking at local resources and local people and local need, and, and teaching how to be a civic innovator at the same time. So so that, we're doing that's we
1: just we just got back from our academy in D.C. We did a week in D.C. where we took 75 fellows, we split them up into groups and took them into the Department of Education, Transportation, um, Treasury and State. And they actually spoke with deputy directors, learned about the issues and pitched technology based solutions to, you know, like issues that so one of the kids, uh, one of the groups pitched um, a way to completely revolutionize the way IRS does pre filing using new technologies and AI. Uh, Another group went in and talked to the person that led uh, the Biden administration's pull out from Afghanistan. And they learned about how the Biden administration and that specific person talked about that stuff. And so it was a lot of learn by doing. We're also doing one in Austin, Texas, uh, where we're going to go and examine the specific shifts um, in, you know, there's a lot of gentrification happening, the housing prices are rising, the uh, demographics of that city are shifting. And so we're taking kids only from the southern region of the United States to Austin to examine what's happening in that city. And hopefully, gain some some knowledge so that, you know, it's eventually going to happen in other cities in the South as well, so that they can be prepared for when their cities and their communities start to change like this and how they support the communities they grew up in. So we're, we're, we're experimenting with that and we'll, we'll see how it goes by the end of the year.
0: We used to, I, I ran a school for a long time and, and one of the premises of our school was understanding place. And so we would go into communities on week long trips, regional, and I live in Wyoming and regionally in this area. And, We will go into communities and look at the economy and the culture and the ecology of the place and from that and and do what they do interviews and observations and from that determine what what they what what uh, challenges they might want to tackle and very similar you're doing it on a much larger scale but it uh it makes my heart beat faster to know that that people are taking this idea that idea and thinking about it in a bigger way which is
1: great you had it you had it from the start that's that's exactly how young people love to learn it's exactly how they should learn and i actually think You know, if I could choose more schools doing what you're doing and more organizations doing what Civics Unplugged is doing, I'd probably choose more schools because I think constant connection with those kids and constant connection with that community is so so important. And that's just something that no nonprofit can do because we're not in schools with kids from eight to four or eight to three, whatever it is.
0: Right, right. Probably a combination of both, right? So you need you need young people to be involved in something bigger than themselves and their school. I think there's something really powerful there. And their school needs to have a mantra and a mission that says this place is important and we're going to figure out how to help you find agency in your own place. So I think both of those things are important. Okay. Let's tackle the hardest question of the interview is that you, you are, you have launched this uh, idea in a very, very divided time where, where politics has entered school and education. Um, h- how do you play in that space? Are you really working hard to stay non-advocacy and, and, and allowing each individual student to chase their own, whatever they're they're interested in chasing? Or how do you play in this very partisan world that education, especially school boards and districts have found themselves in?
1: Yeah, I'll give you the easy answer. And then the more theoretical out there answer. The answer that we have is that we are developing young leaders, and we're trying to get them to think about innovation in a nonpartisan way and innovation in in a kind of like, just outside of the partisan system. And you can see that in issues like social media legislation where I think there is a huge consensus, no matter what party you are, that there needs to be reform. And we're supporting a lot of young leaders who are interested in that. When you get to the education stuff, um, there is a huge party divide on whether or not young people should be on school boards and whether or not certain curriculum should be taught. And legally, we can't get involved in those conversations, but what we can do is support young people in pursuing organizations that tackle those issues in the way that they think they should be tackled. And so we're committing um, to moving even more money year over year, close to 250 to $300,000 to support young people in these hyper-local communities um, to, to tackle those issues. Um, but again, we're, we're a leadership development and pipeline building organization. We're not doing any direct advocacy. Second, second point is that I think that we are at the end of a culture wave in the United States or globally. I think all movies are starting to sound the same. All companies that are coming out are are starting to look the same. A lot of interventions in education and policy and government are starting to look the same. And so I think there is the signal to noise ratio is extremely low. There's a ton, a ton of noise, not very much signal, extremely high, I should say. Um, There's space for young people and adults to work together to co-create entirely new narratives and entirely new ways of thinking about education, thinking about policy. That's just not happening right now. And so maybe you all can hold me to this, but if Civics Unplugged isn't saying very new things, saying things that probably um, no one would have said uh, last culture cycle, new ideas, helping young people and potentially even pe- members of Congress co-create ideas together and putting them out there um, and taking that risk, I think we we failed. Because I think there's a lot of space to think differently about all those issues um, and people are, are ready to hear it. Um, it's just about coming up with those ideas. And I think that's where we're trying to figure out of like, there's, there's 3,500 young people in our community. Each one of them has really interesting ideas about how things should work. How do we condense them? How do we lift them up? That's the big struggle right now.
0: Yeah, I I really agree with that. I think that we are, um, we're at the height of a, a binary yes, no type diatribe. And I, I think that humans are more nuanced than that. And I think young people and um, older adults have a lot of ideas that can sit on a massive spectrum. Um, And yet media amplifies a binary system of either you're for or against whatever the thing is. And so getting past that, I think is going to be really important. And um, I'm hopeful that your leaders that you're helping develop will start to push those agendas is that we can do this in a lot of different ways. Um, we just need to come up with those ways and listen to each other, et cetera. So, uh,
1: yeah, I, I, I completely think you're right. And one of the things that really impressed me about, um, I was listening to Congressman Frost speak uh, with the fellows, and he kept bringing back this point about holding both truths or holding both things true. And that's just something that you don't hear people talk about very often because, like you said, there's such a huge binary and it's something that we're trying to really impress upon the young people we teach, not only through direct curriculum, but also through like consistently talking about problems we have as a leadership team um, and issues that we're having as a leadership team in front of the, those young people, even if they're blowing up, like running Civics Unplugged in itself is a lesson for all these young people to learn and to, to be able to participate in and, and learn by doing. And so, um, yeah, I, I think... If we could teach 3500 people to be able to hold two things true and find the the balance between two really conflicting ideas i think we've really done something new um i wish schools could could do that as well and and some innovative curriculums are trying to do that
0: Uh, i totally agree and i i I use that mantra as well as that we it is another superpower uh, that i didn't describe in the beginning this ability to hold two truths um and to to the ability to hold a conversation with someone that you are diametrically opposed or, or think that that person is absolutely not saying the right thing, but still hold the conversation and try to understand where they're coming from so that you can come to a consensus point of view that's good for the world, good for humans, etc. cetera. Um, and it's not always possible. I, 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 it's not utopia and there are gonna be things that just, you know, are, are, are racism and things like that, that we're, we're probably not gonna get over if someone is objectively uh, thinking in that way. Um, on the other hand, uh, there's a lot that I think are on uh, a much more of a gradient level. So, um, yeah, cha- good challenging work, and I appreciate that you're you're tackling it. Uh, okay, last question before we wrap up, um, which maybe is is too big for the last question, but there there's two things that are happening uh, I think that are important in the technology world. The first one is AI. Everybody's talking about that. It's easy to access through ChatGPT, et cetera, et cetera. And the second one is this the, the the next iteration of the web. So decentralized learning and blockchain and and I'm curious about, so you've created something called DreamDAO, DAO Distributed uh, or Decentralized Autonomous Organization, um, which is Web3-based concept. Uh, why did you do that and is it working? And the second thing is, what's your quick perspective on how is AI going to influence this whole world at, uh, of civic
1: innovators? Gosh. The DreamDAO, I'll start with the DreamDAO. The DreamDAO was an experiment that, the young people in our 2021 cohort brought to us that was voted down by the rest of the fellows three times before we actually launched it. So the fellows have to democratically vote on launching new things. as, for example of new programs, new posts, whatever. So it was voted down um, for a lot of different concerns, right? all the concerns that you have about crypto. But once the young people that were advocating for Dreamed Out disconnected cryptocurrency from Web3 and started talking about how Web3 was an ability to bring democracy online to bring ownership online, to fight misinformation, to validate um, impact and policy, it started to catch on with a lot of the young people. And and I think the reason is because young people, Gen Z and below, grew up online and they grew up in these very decentralized, self-organized, self-run communities already, right? Just because they weren't on blockchain doesn't mean they weren't decentralized communities on the internet. doesn't mean they, they don't already think in leadership structures that are not CEO, vice president, a manager, whatever. They think in very horizontal structures. Youth movements are very rarely led by a CEO. They're, they're very horizontal. And so the ideas of blockchain, the ideas of decentralized technology come very easy to these young people. So all we did was give them the ability to co-create. Some of us on the team were experimenting with blockchain technology, and so we co-created with them the Dream DAO. We launched the first philanthropically-led, youth-led DAO in the space uh, before Kimball Musk launched his, even though they say they're the first. Um, it's okay. doesn't doesn't really bother us, uh, as you can tell. But we raised $300,000 through the sale of NFTs to support young people who were using decentralized technology to improve democracy all over the country. Um, and what that did was it gave a lot of funding to young coders who were hacking to save democracy, but it also gave our fellows the ability to experiment in building their own government. And so they learned very quickly that setting up 10 subcommittees uh, didn't work because bureaucracy doesn't always solve every issue. Uh, they also learned that a free for all was a horrible idea and they got to experiment with democracy in, in real time. They got to build their own organization. And so two years later, it's still running. We're about to launch our fifth season. We're about to completely revamp how we give grants to young people online, um, so it, it is a success and it's a success both in the education that we provide to kids and the money we provide
0: to kids. And just as a, a note there, I mean, you're already operating a little bit in a decentralized way. So the the DAO is not a huge leap for you all. It's, it's kind of like you were saying that young people, they're already operating in decentralized systems, uh, which were non-hierarchical, et cetera, and full votes. So just, just a, a note to our listeners that you don't have to be involved with blockchain to create decentralized systems that are different from the organizations
1: that we exist in today. Huge point. Civics Unplugged was already, like, you hear this term DAO. We're already operating like that before we launched DreamDAO. You're 100% right. And I think if you can make space for young people to be able to craft these things in a sandbox, like, if you set the boundaries and kind of let them go wild within the boundaries, it's a completely different education experience about democracy, about civics, about leadership, about math, whatever you want it to be. It's it's huge. Um, so, so that's that. AI. First thing I'll say is... Um, I am on the core team of an organization called Design It For Us, and we are a coalition of youth-serving or youth-led organizations that's advocating for a better, brighter internet. That looks like advocating for bills like the Kids Online Safety Act that protects young people from algorithms and being um, essentially stalked online, and also bills that protect AI innovation while also protecting young people from misinformation led by AI. There are people on that team designing for us that are so much more knowledgeable about this, including um, one of the core team members, Sneha Revener, who has been branded as the Greta Thunberg of AI by Politico. However you think of that, it it goes to show that she is a high school student who is really thinking intentionally about AI and education. And so I recommend going to to listen to her speak or or find her writing. I think that specifically in education, we'll start, um, it provides an amazing way for individualized curriculum to be provided to every student. It provides a great way to give hands-on support for students uh, in and outside of a school context. Um, It also allows for creativity to be unleashed in a completely different way. You don't have to know how to draw or you don't have to know how to write. You don't have to know how to take pictures to translate your creativity from inside your head out to the real world. You now have an assistant that can do all that for you if you just know how to speak it into existence. And so that's a completely different paradigm of what it looks like to found companies, to participate in in the job market, to participate in school. And so if you can tell the AI what you're thinking in some way, you can be an artist, you can be an engineer, you can be a scientist, you can be whatever you want, which I think is awesome. Um, The bad parts about it are that every effort to subvert democracy and change the minds of millions of young people has now become superpowered. We have the ability to create misinformation. Like I ran a social media company online on on Instagram in 2017. I saw the dark underbelly of the Internet and how people were coordinating to post memes that got young boys down a alt right rabbit hole that made them hate women and and hate people that didn't look like them. And I saw that I came face to face with people who did that. And it was terrifying. And now I I know that there are people like that gearing up for this election that are going to use A.I. to 10 or 20 X their impact. And so what we have to be really knowledgeable of is how do we, banning AI in school is only gonna make them weaker and less knowledgeable about the threat that is coming to them in their bedrooms. You can take away the AI in school, you can't take away the AI on TikTok when they're scrolling through their feed at 11 p.m. at night. And so you know, you either teach kids about the, the issue and you let them experience it so they know what's going on, or you leave them vulnerable to horrible, horrible things on the internet.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree. 100% uh, huge power to personalized learning, huge danger. And it goes back to the superpower is, is young people need to be able to understand. Uh, they need to be able to, to understand how to engage. They need to understand how to discern uh, truth from fiction. And that's going to get harder and harder. So um, I appreciate both those answers. Tanasi, we, this has been an awesome conversation. I think you and I could go on for a long time or, or you could talk and I could listen because <laughs> there's a lot I'm learning. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to wrap this up uh, with two things. So one is, um, uh, what's the takeaway message for our listeners? So what's the elevator pitch, Twitter version or whatever, whatever platform you want to want to call it. And the second is, uh, you've talked about a few different orgs, um, during this podcast, any particular one or person you'd like to amplify, um, so we can put them in our show notes and make sure that they get the recognition that they deserve.
1: For sure. Um, I think Civics Unplugged is super awesome, and it wasn't built by me or the four members of our team. It was built by 3,500 young people from all 50 states and 74 countries. And so if we can do it in three years, imagine the benefit of co-creating alongside young people, not giving them the reins and telling them to do it or saying that you have to hand over all power to young people. It's about building intergenerational spaces for co-creation, and that's, that's the real magic sauce. So do it if you, if you want. Um, that's, that's the takeaway and in terms of amplification definitely all the young people on the designer for us team they are thinking really intentionally about how technology and culture and education impacts young people Um, and i think they're thought leaders as well as young activists um they're they should be appreciated for their individual stories and experiences but also their ideas and their academic work so that's one and then all of the grantees of an organization called the vela education fund i don't know if you've ever run into them um Yeah, they are one of the most innovative uh, philanthropies, foundations, whatever you want to call them, funding a lot of really experimental education approaches, Um, and I think they're super cool, and the team is great, and all the grantees are doing amazing work. So if you want to be inspired to think differently, scrolling through their grantee list is is a great thing to do on a weekend.
0: Yeah, we appreciate Vela as well, and we'll put Design It For Us in the show notes so people can check it out. Uh here's my, I just have a few takeaways. So one is this idea that journey to purpose doesn't always have to be uh, planned. It sometimes just happens. Uh, and it sometimes happens right away. And it sometimes happens 20 years in the future. But we need to give young people the tools and skills to, to make sure they're ready for it when it happens. Uh, and you all are doing this. You said the word co-creation at least 10 times in this podcast. And I, I, for our listeners, I want to just emphasize the power of co-creation, the power of intergenerational intergener- work is so important for the future uh, of our country, the future of the world, et cetera. I love that you said this idea of that you're in the business of helping people stay good, right? Um, When when young uh, humans are born, they are inherently good, right? And something happens to them along the way, and some of them don't end up good in the long run. And so so how do you really help people stay good? Um, And then the, the fourth takeaway for me is this idea of practicing local. How do we help young people see their own communities as places where they can make a difference? So Tanasi Delos, what, what an awesome conversation. I uh, really appreciate all the work you're doing, that your fellows are doing, that you're doing together, and all the ideas you're bringing to the world. Um, we'll put everything in the show notes uh, in terms of all the links that you provided. Uh, and if people want to find out more, what's your website? Civicsunplug.org. Super easy, civicsunplugged.org. Well, thanks so much. Uh, Really enjoy the work you're doing and appreciate the hard work uh, that you and your team are putting into making the world a better place.
1: Thanks so much for having me again. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about got a topic or a guest in mind, send your recommendations to me, Mason, at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.